This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. Please remain calm. Welcome to the How to Survive the Narcissist Apocalypse podcast. I'm Chad the Impaler. Thanks for showing up for this episode. Today we have quite an interesting story from a narcissist abuse survivor named Miriam. And it's a story that is is so unbelievable to a lot of people that you wouldn't think it is true. But she uh, married a... uh, a malignant narcissist, a sociopath, or a psychopath. We don't know which one specifically, but uh, her life was uh, torn apart. Children were involved. And it's a sad tale. It's scary. I mean, when I say this one is... Other stories are, are scary. I mean, this one is scary. The amount of planning that went into... Um, the destruction of someone's life here. This was like very premeditated because uh, a lot of times you think that maybe a narcissist uh, doesn't maybe know what they're doing in a certain way. You kind of like it's unconscious possibly for certain, uh, you know, low level uh, narcissism. We're talking about a high level uh, malignant narcissist in this one. And uh, take a listen. Uh, I'm sure you'll have uh, some reactions like I did where you're just kind of uh, blown away. Uh, And uh, that's all I have to say. I'm going to now uh, let everyone listen to uh, this week's show. So thanks for everyone who's tuned in today. Uh, We have Miriam here today. How are you doing, Miriam? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So Miriam uh, has a story of uh, being married to a uh, narcissistic husband, possibly or most likely a psychopathic uh, husband, if anything, a sociopath, a malignant narcissist. And her story is, um, it's kind of like, it turns out to be like a movie. Uh, You'll, we'll get there. And it's not a fun story. And hopefully we can all learn, uh, learn from this. And now I'm going to get out of my way of talking. And just uh, let you take the stage and tell us your story. Hi. Um, all right. So where would you like me to start? How we met? <laughs> yeah. Tell, tell us, I guess there was the love bombing stage. So let's, uh, I guess, start with uh, how he drew you in. So uh, I was introduced to him by uh, an acquaintance and he, you know, he, he had just got, he was just in the process of getting divorced uh, and I met him. He, he quite a, very attractive, very smart, um, good sense of humor. And we went out and, you know, what I know now, I wish I would have known then, was on our first date, you know, he was very romantic and very nice and very complimentary. But one of the first things he told me was about his divorce and how he had married someone who completely lied to him, who was, who used him, who just, you know, and even uh, confessed to me that she was her, she had been molested as uh, when she, by her uncle as a child mm-hmm. on her first date, which you know I and and I'm quite of an empathetic person, so my heart went out to him, and also for this poor woman. So anyway, we started dating. Uh, 
and he was very generous, very kind. He told me he was in love with me within, you know, within the first three months, even though he was still going through this divorce. And I, you know, and I found it hard hard to understand, but he would do all these nice things that, you know, I just, I was like, wow, I found my Prince Charming. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of a sudden he started doing these little comments like you know we would be at a restaurant and there would be an attractive woman and he would be like look that could have that that woman could be sitting in your place right now oh. and i was like what <laughs> uh and he's like no i'm just kidding i knew her you know but he uh, it was always done with a joke um almost confused you to the point of like are you the right one or wrong one mm-hmm. um we continued dating, and one I, I was just telling a story to someone yesterday. We were six months into dating, and I threw a birthday party where, you know, we had 12 people at a restaurant, and he came in with a friend and started ordering fancy bottles of wine. And when it was time for the bill to come, he, he took the check and said, I'm taking everyone out to dinner. And the next day, everybody was thanking and how generous and how kind and how wonderful. And I turned to him and I said, that was so kind of you to do this for me. He said, well, what, what was I supposed to do when you just sat there and didn't do anything? Uh-huh. And I remember my heart dropping and I was like, I, I wasn't even in the financial position, but I'm like, let me write you a check in here. I, you know, and he, but then of course, with the explanations, it all became my fault, mm-hmm. you know? So did I you actually write him a check right there? Yeah, he didn't accept it, but it oh. was the, it was the reaction of, well, it's your fault. Yeah. What was I supposed to do? And it was that, I, and you know, and those those things started little by little. So finally, you know, this is at the beginning of the relationship. Um, he also controlled the time, the times we would see each other. We were only allowed to see each other on the weekends, from like Friday at six p.m. until Sunday at four p.m. And I said, "Look, I'm too mature. Like I'm too old. Like I don't understand why can't we can't see each other on a, on a weekday." Um, and that was another sign where I should have known that he was he was fully in control of the relationship. And I'm just I was just saying that I'm too laid back, so whatever, whatever works best. Um, we we I, I mean I don't know how many examples you want me to give your. Uh, or- I don't know. Just I guess just tell the story how you think uh, if it's best. Like right now, what what I'm thinking in my mind. Because you uh-huh. have all of these red flags, and you know that they're red flags, but everyone out there uh, who's been through this knows that uh, this is just what happens, and, and uh, someone uh, who's an empath, who is a codependent person, will, uh, will tolerate these things. Did you have, uh, I guess, a history of codependency, or did you come from a home where there's codependent people or a narcissist in the home? No, but I think, you know, I had a very strong mother uh, perhaps a bit controlling. Mm-hmm. So to me, the, one of the things that I, at the beginning that attracted me so I, and that I, that I think I, I went with was that he was quick to apologize. He's very quick, you know, like, oh, I caught myself with a problem. Like, I'm so sorry. And in my head, I would be like, you know, we're all humans. We, we have bad days. We make mistakes. And I would let the behavior go. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then the, the behavior was showered by a lot of gifts and uh, plans for trips or, you know, future ideas. So um, so he'd throw, what, he'd throw in the apology before there could be a consequence be, and 
uh, to any of his right. actions. And, and it was just a very, you know, deep apologies, flower. So, for example, you know, six uh, after that, I, I actually almost ended the relationship early on because um, I had, let me go back. My yeah. gut always told me, but it chose not to listen to my gut. Because on paper, he looked perfect. Mm-hmm. And, and in my head, I, was, I convinced myself, if he just gets to really know me, he'll get to really like me. And now I look back and I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, one, I, one more other question. I'm sorry for interrupting. No. Um, who set you up? Uh, and I, have you ever had a conversation with them of like, what were you thinking? You know, people, he, it it was a friend, you know, it was an acquaintance and it was was someone who I haven't seen in years. Um, So, no, I haven't had the chance to say, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? Uh, No, I haven't. Um, I don't really talk to the the few people I met from his circle. I don't really speak to, I don't, I haven't seen or communicate. So, one story that was very telling, and this is when I really should have plugged the you know, pull the plug on the relationship, but I, um, we are dating and, uh, I live, my family lives in Washington, DC and his family lives in Wisconsin. And he said he was going to go visit his family. And I was, it happened to be a weekend where I was visiting mine. And, um, and when I, you know, it, it, he, he, I didn't hear from him all weekend. I got a phone call like two days into the, his trip. And it, actually, I didn't get a phone call. I got an email saying that, oh, there was a heart attack on the plane. And, you know, he, he had been very busy and he couldn't, you know, he didn't have a chance to call me and that he was going to be running around with his parents and that he would call me later or in the next day, another email. And I found that, you know, quite bizarre because we're in, even though that was 10 years ago, you know, we all had cell phones. Mm-hmm. So... I was home, and that's when I said to my mother, I said, I'm breaking up with this guy. I just, I, I've had, you know, I've just had it. Um, the, you know, the lack of consistency doesn't work with me. And I had, you know, and I told him, I wrote him, I said, let's let's have a quick drink because I, I have something to tell you. Uh, I came back, and he was actually that day waiting for me uh, in the subway station, which I found uh very peculiar, but at that time I thought, what a romantic gesture, you know? So he took me to a restaurant and I said, look, I need to talk to you. And he, you know, he said, let me speak first. I just went to see my family. My father and I went out on a boat and we drank uh, a couple scotches and I realized how in love I am with you. And I want to be the best boyfriend to you. And I know I've done things that have hurt you. And I just want to, to, to change everything to make you the priority in my life. And, you know, and I fell for it. The next morning I woke up and I found this little ticket (laughs) and it was a Delta with a flight number. And I called Delta to find out where the flight had, you know, to come from. And he had not even gone to, to see his family. He went to, he went to a birthday party with his ex-wife of a good friend of of theirs. And I got extremely angry. I reacted and, you know, um, and somehow it became my fault. And somehow I was convinced that the reason he didn't tell me is because I'm a very jealous person and that, you know, 
that I should just, and, and he, and then he, I don't know what he did, but he hoovered me back. <laughs> well, before that, I just wanted to say that line he pulled on you, uh, where he said that the, the stuff that he said to your dad, what a great, uh, if you're a manipulator out there, what a great manipulative, uh, uh, line to pull on you. Um, how could you not be pulled in on that one? Um, but yeah, you're dealing with a master manipulator. Master. master. And I didn't know, you know, like, I didn't know. Um, later, you know, he suffered a couple bouts of depression. So I just, I never dealt with mental illness um, in my life. And I just, I, I thought I would be there to support him and sort of um, allow him to give him the room to sort of heal and and be there as support. What I didn't realize until years later is that, you know, his depression, he was not only on antidepressants, um, he, you know, he takes a boutique, um, a boutique antidepressant that is used for patients who have tried everything and cannot, you know, this is the, the, the last step. <laughs> it's, a, it's a patch. Mm-hmm. And he also was on mood stabilizers. And I didn't find that until, you know, three years into our marriage. Um, what do you say, like SSRIs? Like he serotonin take, uptakers? He was taking, he was on, uh, um, on the metal. Okay. Um, but he said, oh, well, well, they put me on it and it's just, it, 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 he, it, what he claimed was mild, mild anxiety and mild depression. Um, and this takes part later in our story. This is kind of, you know, um, this will come back later. So anyway, so we, all of a sudden we get engaged um, the day he proposes to me. And it was, you know, he spent a lot of money on a fancy ring. Uh, but he, you know, there was, I remember he got down on one knee. We were going away for the holidays for Christmas. And I said, wow, I got to call my family. I got to call everybody. He's like, no, don't make a big deal out of it. Um, could you walk the dog? <laughs> that was my celebration. <laughs> really? <laughs> Uh, and I remember after that, it was just the saddest moment that became, we were engaged for two and a half years, which became a game of shoots and ladders, um, to, you know, because I just thought I, I had the fairy tale book with that. I thought you got engaged and you planned this fabulous wedding and everything. You just got into the highway of, of, you know, love success. And, um, what he would do is anytime we would talk about the wedding, I would go up the ladder a little bit and then I would say something wrong and somehow end up at square one. Um, and it was like a carrot that he held out on, to, you know, in front of me for about two, two, yeah, two and a half years. Um, as I'm listening to myself say the story, I can't believe I stated it. <laughs> Oh no! It, I mean, it happens to all of us. So many things. Like we, this the person has you. Uh, as I always say, you're you're a puppet, and you're on these strings, and uh, they know exact when exactly when to pull to make themselves feel good, and they know exactly when you're about to come close to being out of it, and then they do that one thing to snatch you right back uh, up and be. Oh, this person is, you know, fantastic. I you, you kind of have them on a pedestal in a way, and that's kind of where. You're down here, they're up there, and they're just pulling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you put it in such a great way. And I just, at the time, I was caught in it. And and I think towards the end, by the time we got married, I think I I felt like we had been together now at this point five, 
five years that I was like, I, and I, you know, I was getting older and I really wanted children. And I was like, once we get married, things will be better, <laughs> you know? And, um, so we got married on his birthday because he said it would make, uh, it would make a day that he usually hates a very momentous, you know, occasion. And I fell for that too. So every year and our anniversary was like a funeral because he hated his birthday. Oh, so and I, thought now were, I, I thought you were about to say every year our anniversary was then all about him. It, it, well, it was yeah, all about, about him and yeah. how awful the day was and how awful oh, everything is. What a terrible person. Okay. What, yeah. Honestly, that's yeah. terrible. <laughs> so we got married. Um, we, we, you know, unfortunately, I thought that, you know, getting pregnant would be very easy. And it took us about two and a half years to get pregnant. And... Um, I will say the first three months that we were married, he was like an angel. He was the dream husband. Um, he all of a sudden had changed. Um, and then all of a sudden one day he went into, you know, he started getting, he went from being wonderful for three months and then started just acting. And the only way I can describe it is back then it, you know, his behavior used to come in ebbs and flows, almost like a wave that just came in slowly and, you know, would knock me down. But I had enough time to get back up. Mm-hmm. Um, we did IVF. He blamed me for not being able to get pregnant because I was, you know, he, in his opinion, I drank way too much. And I think at the time I was drinking a lot because I was dealing with a lot of stress that I was trying to masquerade. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, also the, the whole world of IVF is pretty – it's a very daunting and it's, it's not fun. Yeah. So my, my friend is doing it right now. It does not sound like fun. No. And I remember particularly one year's Eve. Um, I, I, I had had a, another failed round and they sent me an email, the clinic it sent me an email and I was so, I felt terrible. And, and he said, well, you know, just, you know, he kind of like patted me in the back. He's like, you know, just chin up. And I remember that evening I sat in a corner, just drank <laughs> champagne after champagne. And and I got very drunk and we were at our friend's house and he left me there. What do you mean? He went home and he just left you in the corner? And he left me at my friend's house oh, to stay there. This is ter- I'm sorry this happened to you. This is terrible. And then the next day when I went home, I was so ashamed because there was a lot of shame for this behavior because my dad was criminalized. Like, how dare I do, you know, such awful, you know, how dare I behave so terribly? And, you know, like in my head, I was like, wow, if, if this ever happened to a friend of mine, I would make sure they got home okay. I would stay up with them. <laughs> I just, I would do anything to help them. So when I got home, he ended up giving me about a three-week silent treatment. So, anyhow, um, I have one one question. During this time, were you telling uh, your friends what was kind of going on or family members or a therapist uh, about the behaviors? Or were you uh, keeping it to yourself because you felt maybe ashamed that you were letting this happen in in a way? Or not letting it happen, but this was happening to you? So, I went to see a therapist early on when, when I met him. 
Mm -hmm. Oh, I forgot an important part of the story, uh, one of our dating stories. Um, And she, you know, she she was the smartest woman I've ever met. She just didn't explain to me what I was dealing with. And she said to me, you go back to his apartment right now and you pack everything you own and don't even leave your 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 uh, toothbrush behind and never look back. And I remember leaving her office and being like, well, you know, she doesn't really know him. I mean, he's so kind. He feeds the homeless and, you know, he does these great things and he's so generous. How, like, you know, people have bad days. And this is a total abused person's mentality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unfortunately she passed away. But I remember this uh, Dr. Sally just, I, and I wish at the time she would have taken the time to explain to me as why she felt so strongly for me leaving. Mm-hmm. So what, what the, the reason why I had gone to her hysterical was um, one day he said to me, you know, Miriam, uh, I would um, I found these great homes that I would love for you and I to go look at. It's a great place to raise a family. It's a great place for you and I to to, you know, grow old. So we went and looked at these homes and, you know, he walked me and, you know, just sold me the dream. Mm-hmm. And when we came back, a week passed, two weeks passed, three weeks passed, <laughs> and no word of what, you know, about these great homes that we had seen. And I said, you know, I even said, wow, what, he's a lot more serious about me than I thought. Um, so I brought it up to him. I said, what, what are we going to do? I mean, we, maybe we should consider, you know, living together before buying a home. And he said, well, you need to give me a good reason as to why we should live together. And I, you know, and I said, well, I mean, one, I'm here every night and it would save money. And so he turned to me and he said, well, you really think that we should move in together just so you can save money? And I felt so ashamed, so embarrassed that that was the only answer I could come up with. And he would put me, it was almost like every time that we had an argument, he would put me in the corner and I would just back down because he was so much better with words than I am. Mm-hmm. When I when someone puts me in a corner, I just, you know, I just quiet down or I just shake and tremble and I just let the argument go. Or I overreact and scream. And the overreaction and screaming made me look hysterical and crazy. Yeah. And out of control. And he then told me I had anger management problems. And... Um, so yeah, so, uh, anyway, so that was one of, you know, early on, and, but, but it was always it, it, the theme of the whole story is always my fault, Yeah. no matter what the situation was. And even later on, I never had enough, I, I, you know, I didn't have a good enough reason. I didn't have a good enough argument. Um, and I just always felt kind of belittled and, and, you know, shamed, um, so, okay, so we get married. I finally get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, I thought once I get pregnant, the behavior will get better, um, you know, because now he can understand, you know, he, he, he suffered from having an ex-wife. Now he can understand that I truly love him and we're going to build a family together. Well, my pregnancy really showed that's when his mask sort of started coming off. And he, at that time, life became about him, about fixing himself, 
about, you know, he got a couple of different operations, one for his elbow, one for his nose. You know, he started meditating. It was all about him and and the dog we had at the time. And nothing about me. And I have to say that it was the hardest because I went through that pregnancy completely alone. Mm -hmm. And at the time of my pregnancy, he started asking me for one I had never changed my last name he wanted me to change my last name to his and he wanted me to sign a post nup and and I said to him look at this point we've been married for a couple of years um I and he said well you know you lied to me you said you would sign a prenup and my the way I felt is if you really need a post nup now that I'm pregnant and I am you know we've been married for a couple of years we might as well just call it quits now and it was this recurring argument because he just felt that I had completely lied to him um and you know again it was my fault Mm -hmm. so um as the pregnancy gets goes along the worse he behaves um you had asked me if I had told friends Mm -hmm. You know, it was really hard because I will t- I would tell friends about weird behaviors I saw or arguments we had, but they never knew knew what to do with me because one moment I, they never knew what they would get from me because one moment I would come and I would be devastated and falling apart because of what had ensued between us, and then the next moment he had given me a crumb and I come back and I was like, oh my god, things are great. You know, we're going on a trip. Like, I think, you know, he's going to get into therapy. Things are going to be much better now. And at that time, I didn't understand. I didn't know a thing about narcissism. Mm -hmm. I didn't know about, you know, I thought these people only existed in movies. (laughs) Yeah, I had one day, um, I had a good friend one day because I'd have this one friend where I'd complain and then I would, I would, uh, then the next day not complain and and be like, oh, things are better. Uh, Until eventually one day they said to me, don't ever complain about this ever again unless you're going to do something. And they were done. And that, that, jo- that, that was the most helpful friend I had. Because mm-hmm. that, that jogged me back into like, uh, you know, this is now affecting my other relationship uh, in this kind of sense. And it kind of got me to look at things differently. And that mm-hmm. helped me set me down a road. So having a friend like that, if you're out there and you're a friend of someone like this, um, do that. Uh, give them that ultimatum of like, don't talk to me ever again, because it might help someone who is uh, in the midst of, uh, even though it's very difficult to, to get us, people like us off of the, uh, the uh, what's it called, to stop putting this person on a pedestal, uh, a friend who will do something like that is a, is a true friend uh, by saying that they'll just kind of cut you off from complaining. So I'm sorry for interrupting. No, no, no. <laughs> that's, Continue. That, that's fine. So, um, at this point I give birth to, uh, two boys. I have twin boys and, um, and that's when my life became a real health. <laughs> that's, you know, that's when there was no longer, remember how I used to say the waves used to come and ebbs and flows. Yeah. Now I was just drowning. The waves were just coming too fast. I didn't, I didn't have time to catch my breath. Uh, because the attacks were just consistent and always. So I give birth to twins, and what I wanted to do was, you know, instead of having him come and stay with me and stay in the hospital, I said, go home, get a good night's rest, and come back. And the next day he calls me, 
and he starts complaining to me about where the housekeeper put the socks. <laughs> and I said, are you kidding? <laughs> and I hung up on him and he didn't show up at the hospital the next day until, oh. until two o'clock the afternoon. And then he got angry with me because I happened to have a lot of friends and, you know, the, there were a lot of people visiting me. And he got angry with me because I, didn't, I wasn't controlling the crowds. Now, I was... <laughs> okay, that's crazy. <laughs> and the thing is, at that time, my mom had come and my mom was going to... He, he suggested that my mom... That he would rent my mom an apartment so she could help us and enjoy the, the kids. Um, which was kind of hard because at least before my life, I sort of... I guess this is the first time I've really said it. Like, I just pretended how great it was. And from an outsider's looking in, you would think, you know, we're an attractive couple who live in a big apartment, who have money, who have all these great things. But I was miserable. And, um, and my, you know, I all of a sudden, you know, with my mother there, I had an audience. And who could actually witness and say to me, this guy is completely horrible to you and I would defend him um so once I had the kids he you know it was just awful you one you know parenting is tough (laughs) uh twins almost put my mom and I in the grave because we barely slept and every day he would come in with you know we never knew what kind of mood he was going to come in and what kind of argument he would start um it, it was just a terrible time um Around 2014, I gave birth in 2013, around 2014, the kids were six months old. And I remember we had a dog and he was getting older and he had pooped inside the house. And I said, you know, can you clean it up? And I was tending to the twins by myself. I said, you do it. You don't do anything all day. I said, please, I just need your help. So we got in an argument and he kind of got close to me and I spilled a little coffee on him. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, you know, you're, you're abusing me. You're attacking me. And he left in a frenzy. And a couple weeks later, I was going through the mail and I opened um, an envelope. But I looked that it was coming from an attorney. And I said, oh, my God, this poor guy is still being bothered by his ex-wife and legal bills. And it was he went to see an attorney about me. Um, and I didn't know, <laughs> no idea. and he started plotting our divorce since 2014. Did you, so. so when did you realize that he was actually plotting your divorce? Like years later, or was that just, you remember that note and then years later you find out that this is the attorney that he'd been going to. And then it kind of all started coming together. No, yeah, I find, I've really figured it out in 2016, but Again, I wasn't ready to face the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so we continue our marriage. He, we start, you know, seeing a therapist. The thing is, he's very clever. And he, you know, all the problems, always in the relationship. And again, all the problems stem from me. My father left when I was younger, when I was 11. So he said I was damaged because of the lack of a, uh, a father figure. So therapy would become about me. And I was like, wow, when I met you, I was 33. I had a good 22 years to deal with it. I don't know why I'm all of a sudden talking about it now in our marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, he started saying that I was an alcoholic. And, you know, and... 
And the hardest part was we entertained a lot. So so he started becoming, so just so I explained, in order for, I tried everything to make our life better. I tried to be social. You know, he would complain about restaurants. So I tried to have people at our home. He would, you know, it was always, no matter what I did, something was wrong. And one of the things is he always would have a poor everybody. So all of a sudden, if I did get a little tipsy, whoops, you're the, you know, you're the one with that alcohol problem. He'd point it out to everyone there. Huh? Oh, he point, yeah. yeah, he pointed out to people, oh, she's drunk again. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. no, he wasn't no? loud like that. He would he would be more he would be more subtle, and he would just be like, oh, you see her? That's oh, what oh. I have to deal with all the time. Oh. She's, out of, she's out of control. He started a smear campaign. Uh, right? that, that's, yeah, my, my way was nothing. That way is, is, real, is real low. Yeah, yeah, so we... Okay, so then... What happens? We are now January of 2016. He changes now completely. Um, and I, and this was the f- second time I had seen almost the look of hatred that he had for me. Um, we were sitting with a friend of mine, and and the friend was looking at, he's a dermatologist, so he was looking at something on my face, and he, like if, and he was sitting across from us and just, you know, daggers were coming out of his eyes towards me. Um, he made my friend so uncomfortable that my friend left. So what I did is I went to the bedroom and I took out two pillows and I shut the door. And he came in and threw the pillows at me and just, we got in a big argument. Oh, what I forgot. Oh, gosh, I completely forgot. (laughs) Let me rewind. After I had the children, he started putting cameras in our home. And he started using the iPhone to record me. Um, He would poke, poke, poke. And then after I got angry, he would start videotaping me. Oh, did you know this was you had any idea that these cameras were there? Well, I took the cameras out because his his arguments was that now we have children and we have straight, you know, we had a nanny. Yeah. And um, and I said, yeah, but the nanny I've known for 10 years because she was the nanny to another friend. And my mother's there all the time. And I'm here all the time. So what do we need cameras for? You know, <laughs> like. You were, I, you were being set up like. Perfect. He was, it was, what, this is going to be crazy. Like, what, this is a setup, a pure setup. What's going on? Oh, it was awful. I mean, so he started putting cameras. He started, and you know, the, the, the iPhone became the bane of my existence because, um, you know, when someone shoves a phone in your face, the first time you let it go, the second time you let it go, the third time, by the, by 2016, I was like, give me that freaking phone or I'm going to bash it in your head. And, you know, fast forward to a couple of years later, that was used against me. Um, so he took that reaction. He went for a walk. And unbeknownst to me, he started going to the, in 2000, now we're back to 2016. He started going to the police station and filing police reports um, saying he was being abused by me. And they never came to speak to you? Like it, that wasn't how the procedure worked at all? No, and you can basically, I could just, you could be sitting here with me and give me a dirty look and we could say goodbye to each other and I could go to the police and write a report about you. They have to take it. Oh, okay. This, the, the system needs to be fixed so, yeah. somehow. <laughs> you know, um, so we, so yeah, so he started around 
February of 2016, we went out with a bunch of friends. He started accusing me of having an affair with, all of a sudden I started having affairs, according to him. Um, one, I was, you know, I was, used to take the twins to a, a music class and to someone's building, and he would say that I would go there with a nanny while the kids were at the music class. I would go visit the gentleman that lived across the hall and have an affair with him. And I said, wow, that's really creative. <laughs> and I had no idea I had so much game. Yeah. <laughs> but um, then he, you know, we started socializing with these parents. And the, the father was very nice. I was, I'm also was a good friends with the mother. And I just, I really liked both of them. I really enjoyed talking to them. And the guy happened to be hysterical. So we had a, a real, um, like, intellectual connection. And, I, you know, I, he was my friend's husband. And he started telling me that I was having an affair with this man. So we are, in 2016, we went to a dinner, and it happened to be, it was at a restaurant, it was a group of 22 people, 22, so 11 couples, and I happened to go to the bathroom at the same time as this man went, and that was his cue that this was happening, and he, um, and he started embarrassing me in front of the, you know, in front of everybody, it was just, it was just terrible, so... After that event, he bumped into my best friend and her husband, and he said to them, he was, he sat down with them, um, and told them how, what an awful person I was, what an alcoholic I am, what, um, mental, mentally deranged person I've become and how he, you know, wanted me, he wanted to get rid of me and, um, and how he wanted the children and he just wanted me to go. And these people are real family people. And they said, you know, she's an amazing mother. She's a great person. We socialize all the time. She's not an alcoholic, you know, <laughs> like we all drink the same. Um, and, you know, in, 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 in their memory, it's, it's that he was so hysterical and angry. And all of a sudden, another friend of theirs arrived who had twins. And all of a sudden, he changed. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, my I have twins, too. And they speak, they're bilingual. You know, my wife speaks Spanish. And they were amazed at the change, at how he could go from from being so erratic about saying what an awful person I was, so almost complimenting the way I was as a parent in, in a matter of seconds. So when he starts, so, when he starts saying these things about you, and you and you hear that this is what's being said, do you go back to what he said about his ex-wife and and start being uh, thinking maybe that person was not at all what he he said she was? She wasn't at all. Yeah. <laughs> he said, you know, I can almost guarantee she wasn't. But you never had any contact with her ever. But you know now, guaranteed, like this, you know. At a certain point, you'd be like, oh, my God, his wife wasn't, ex-wife wasn't crazy. She actually was normal, and she, you know, she escaped him. She moved to San Francisco to be as far away as she could. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, my girlfriend, so the husband is a very private person and usually doesn't like to get involved in relationships. But my girlfriend said, you know, he said to his wife, you have to tell Miriam about what's going on. Um, so the next day I was going to Connecticut to help my friend who they had just moved to Connecticut. So they were fixing their home and I was going out there to give her some advice. And in the drive out, she said, I really need to talk to you about something. And I thought maybe she was going to talk to me about this illicit affair I was having. Um, so, uh, and she starts telling me about the night before about how he, how he 
the things he had said, and I was devastated. How could he, how dare he go to my best friend to tell her these awful things about me? And this is when they realized and saw his colors for the first time. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, this is not a good person. Because keep in mind, he tricked them because he would give them gifts all the time, was always very kind with them, very, you know, like his way of doing things was doing over overdoing acts of generosity and kindness. He just he was he was slipping up. His his mask fell off, and he was real. He was slipping up with his game here. In yeah. A, in a way. So so we are. So I left Connecticut. I got on the train, and I started calling him to ask him what was happening. He refused to answer my my call. So I called my mother. And I said, you know, can you sleep at my house tonight? Because I'm so angry that I I am I am afraid of how angry I'm. You know, because I was so hurt. I was so. I was so betrayed, you know? Um, so I write him a text. I said, my mother's sleeping at my home to, at home tonight. And he goes, why? Because of your, his answer was immediate. Why? Because of your history of violence. Oh, I said, you know what? I am so angry with you right now. I could kill you. Keep that in mind because that became exhibit B. In my, in oh my, my <laughs> god oh my god that text message so never put oh. anything in writing because sometimes we say things just to say them and people can manipulate them to be anything they want like honestly it's, i I'm, you know i know where this is going it, it's so despicable like, there's two things going on one i'm it's just just despicable and then from the other angle a a mad insane genius of this is like years of planning yeah 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 yeah. yeah, years and years like this is like real see like wow okay i'm blown away sorry continue it gets it gets better so after well what i forgot to mention is the day that he bumped into my friends and did all of this that is a day that he said to me he wanted to go away on a trip so that morning we woke up early and went to go get our passports renewed that day he love bombed me with, you know, homes that he wishes we could move to in, you know, New Mexico and other places around the States. And I was like, well, I've never even been to New Mexico, <laughs> but started sending me these real estate listings, called me several times to tell me how much he loved me, <clears throat> booked tickets to do a trip to Mexico. And at 530 called me to say he was heading home. And at six o'clock, he bumped into my friends and did this. <laughs> Wow. I mean, it is, a, you know, it's a, it's a manic day. And um, so he came home and I had I, I had no idea what had ensued that night because, you know, he he came home and his personality had changed. And, you, you know, I didn't know. So the next day. So anyway, so going back to so the next day I write this text message, I come home and he didn't come home until nine o'clock that evening and you know and he came home with a real puffed up chest and you know what am I he didn't even want to address the subject so I'm trying to think what happened he asked me if I would go away with him for the weekend and you know then he became apologetic and he you know love bombed me again and he said he was just angry because he saw something that reminded him about how I was being flirtatious with this gentleman and he just was really angered on the way home and it, it just really hurt him and this is why and he was so sorry that he did that and he would never do that again. Um, 
And at that point, he asked me if we would go to therapy, uh, try, you know, uh, marriage counseling again. And now that I know, what he was trying to do is he wanted to document uh, and have me say things so he could say, look, you know, which he would later use against me. Um, he, what happens now? We, we continue our relationship. Things are starting to get worse by the day. Um, he started then, he started, uh, he started cutting my, uh, lowering my limit on my credit cards mm-hmm. and not letting me know. So one day I'm at Whole Foods, my card gets declined. Um, I don't know why. Oh, no, 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 no. This is what happened. I went on a trip to San Francisco with this friend and another girlfriend, and I charged $1,200 to her credit card. He called me immediately for the hotel that we were staying, and he called me immediately. He said, I got a fraud alert. I said, no, this is the hotel. I said, okay. When I got back from San Francisco, he said to me, we needed to talk about things because he wasn't happy about the things that, you know, how our relationship was going. And I said, okay, what do you want to do? And I I even proposed, do you want to try a trial separation? I don't really know how this works. We have two kids. We need to figure out what's best. You're not happy. I'm not happy. Um, And that's when he started lowering the credit cards. He started playing games, financial games with me. And... Um, and he, and that was also part of, he recorded at that point, this was August of 2016. He started recording everything unbeknownst to me. He -hmm. now would use his recorder, put it in his pocket and record any of our arguments. And, um, we, and on an attempt to save our marriage, we went to Greece and we were actually having a very nice time when he wanted to be charming and loving. He, he was great at it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he was able to really convince me to step back and, and doubt my, you know, my doubt myself. And he, you know, we had five great days on the fourth day uh, on the fifth day. He says to me, we're sitting outside looking at the ocean, having a drink and he says to me, you know, you never had a good enough reason to convince me to marry you out of nowhere. What? Okay. And I was like, wow. <laughs> I was like, wow, is that necessary? I, <laughs> we've been married now for four, almost five years. Now we, at that point, we had been married for five years. I said, we've been married for five years. We have two kids. We've now been together for 10 years. And <laughs> this is what you have to say to me. Um. And, you know, that, that sort of put a damper. We came back and his, at this point, he was just on a, on a goal to get me. He was just awful. He would, I can't even remember the games because it was just awful. One weekend in October is when, and I remember the look he gave me and I was like, he's going to do something. And I don't know what it is, but this is what happened. Um, the Saturday night I was going to a friend's to watch a basketball game and we had not been talking, but I felt bad that I was going out and I was a, a, a fr- an old friend of mine and a, a bunch of our friends were going to be there. So I said, look, we're going to my friend's house. Do you want to come? And I actually just went for an hour because my mom wanted to go home early. He came after I came. He was very rude to me at the event. 
I came back and it was around the Trump Clinton um, campaign mm-hmm. time. And it was the la- after the last debate. So I wanted to watch a Saturday Night Live. And I was sitting on the sofa and he arrived around 1030. And he asked if I wanted to have a drink. Um, I don't remember anything after that. Um, all I know is that the police came to our home. Uh, he said his, his allegation was that I was, uh, his allegations were that I was threatening to hurt myself and blame it on him. And, um, and that he was, he was afraid for himself. So now the police are coming into our home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, the next morning I wake up and I woke up with, you know, he turns around he's like, hi, sweetheart. And I woke up with my pajama bottoms missing and I went crazy. And I really, that's when I really, and I just, I started pounding on him. I threw a book at him because I don't know what he put in my drink. I don't know what happened, but I have no recollection. And you have no recollection he, of the police even being there? No. Oh. Um, you know, and he was saying, well, you know, she was drunk. My, I mean, anyone who would who was around for that event knew that I wasn't when I arrived at home. Um, and it's my worst word against his. Uh, you know, I had no mm. idea. <laughs> So I threw, I threw a book at him. I threw it. So all of a sudden he, and, and I left with the children to go to my mother's and he called the police again, uh, and filed, I guess, another report. And he came back that night and he said, you know, how he really loved me. And, you know, he thought I was a little crazy, but we could really work this out. And I said, look, I think we've gone too far. This is not, you know, getting to the point that you're calling the cops on me is not, you know, saying that I'm going to hurt myself. When would I ever, like, even think about hurting myself and putting it on someone else? And, like, this, is, this, this doesn't even come into my, into my thought process. Thought process. Yeah. This is, like, you know, this is beyond the capabilities of my brain, <laughs> the way my brain functions. And he, um, so I said, you know, I, I'm going to speak to an attorney on, you know, this was Sunday night. I said, I'm going to speak to an attorney tomorrow and we need to figure out what to do. I had my mother sleep that night at our home. I, um, wake up the next morning. My mother forgot one of her pills and he takes the same medication. So instead of using my bathroom and brushing my teeth every day, I just came out to ask for the medication and on my way in, I, I went into the guest bathroom and his phone and his stuff was in there and I was using the toilet and he barges in and he looks at me like I had just almost like as if I was going through his private stuff, even though I was just sitting there and I said, Oh my God, he's up to something. And I went to, so I grabbed his phone. It was around 7am in the morning. I was in my pajamas. You know, I must have had his phone in my possession for about three minutes. He fought me. You know, he wrestled me for it. Um, he said, let me call the cops. I said, you know what? Allow me. You've called them so much. Let me call them. Uh, the police came. They took him in a room. They took me in a room. And 10 minutes later, they came and they arrested me. Oh, my. This is crazy. How? I mean, um, what, what was the reasoning? <laughs> Uh, because the cops had been called that Saturday, that 
Sunday morning and he claimed he was in danger. So I was arrested and the charges pressed against me were um, petty larceny, uh, harassment, and attempt for, to harm because he pulled in the, the fact that I threw things at him the, the day before into this whole thing. And did he so, have any video of that maybe? Um, but larceny for taking his phone? Yeah. 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 Petty larceny. So, but it's, uh, but it's, I mean, it's crazy because you're inside the home. The phone never went, the phone never went anywhere. I was barefoot in my pajamas. Didn't matter. These Uh, are the worst cops I've ever, uh, who are the arresting police officers here? I mean, that's just a terrible decision. Like, because usually, you know, they take the side of most likely the woman, uh, of anything. No, but. And the story gets better. Okay. Hey, better yet worse. Can you, sorry. Go. So better for him, worse for me. So he, um, so then we, you know, they take me down to the precinct and, uh, you know, they hold me in and then they take me to, to the big jail. To, they, they held me in this temporary under the precinct and then they took me to jail and he pressed charges against me. Um, he was, you know, I, I went in at, I think eight and I came out at a, at 1030 at night that evening. We had a surprise party for a friend. Um, and you know, I didn't have a phone or a way to communicate. I was, I, I wasn't even allowed to change. I was taken out in my pajamas. Um, and I, you know, I was in a cell <laughs> with a, a prostitute who drugged her johns and a woman that was caught with two kilos of cocaine and me (laughs) for taking my husband's phone in my home. And I called my family at the time. So what he did during the day is he called all our friends and family and kind of told them his version of the story and, um, and how, and if I, if and he asked them that if I, if they spoke to me, that the DA would drop, the DA was very upset with me. This was the story. And that if I committed and I agreed to go to an AA program, they would drop the charges. And right there, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> he is. Like, oh, my God, I was playing in a sandbox and he was playing the best game of chess and he got me because I was like, what does AA have to do with any of this? Yeah. And it became very clear to me what he was going to do because he's going to try to use this against me for the children. So he got an order of protection. I was not allowed to go to my, back to my home and I was not allowed to see my kids at the beginning. Only an hour a day. I was allowed to walk them to and pick them up from school. I was to be supervised. I, you know, I was, all of a sudden an affidavit came out of how he was the victim of, of abuse. Even though he's six, like six one and a pretty strong guy and claimed to do Krav Maga and he was able to disarm a man before, you know, they even thought about pulling out a gun, but yet he was, you know, abused by me. How are you mentally keeping it together at this point? I mean, it's pretty, uh, I mean, it's, everything is a lie that is going on. You have to, you're, 
I mean, you have to be around court ordered like uh, people to be around your children. I mean, this is well. It, luckily, it, he he didn't want to pay around court order, so he allowed my mother what became the supervisor. Still, like I'm not, you know, I you know, you've done nothing. You have this a guy who's acting like a CIA operative on one end, um, who's who's an insane person. Uh, who's allowed to see the children, like uh, who's getting everything he wants and you are being put into this box. Uh, it has to be the most frustrating, angering thing in the world. I mean, how were you able to cope? It was the most horrendous. I, I can't even, the only way I can explain is I was put in a glass cage and all I could see, I was naked, soiled um, and screaming and no one could hear me. Mm-hmm. And there were so many things said about me that I had to sort of come out under. And now I have a criminal record on top of that, you know? you know. And, you know, he came out with my borderline personality disorder. He came out with my full-fledged alcoholism and my abuse. And now I have a criminal record behind me to sort of deal with. And I've never dealt with the law. I've never had a lawyer. You know, I have friends that are lawyers. So um, I didn't, you know, how did I feel? I felt (laughs) destroyed. Um, But I needed my children back. And, you know, the one thing he knew is I could live without the money. I could live without the fancy apartment. I could live without, you know, all the the material things. I can live without my kids. Mm Mm-hmm. And he knew that was the jugular for me. So he, so he went for it. So um, we went to court. So the way it works is I, you know, I, he put kind of put the parameters as to how I was to see the children. I had no control. He had all the control. Um, I, you know, I, I, we went to court after a week. And he, when he called my family and he called all our friends, he said, you know, I, we just, I, what, I, I love her. We just need to get her help. You know, she's in a desperate state of mind right now. And my concern is her well-being, and I just want to get her help. And, you know, and he would, he stayed in close contact with my family. And at this point, my family was like, wow, you know, we didn't know that she was suffering so much. They're trusting him. Um, they're listening to what he had to say. So they said, you know, we'll drive up and we'll help you remove all the alcohol from the house. And he's like, that's a good idea. And then he said, wait a second. But she could always go to any bodega on the corner and buy the alcohol. And that was their first red flag. Like, you're so concerned about your wife and you're doing all these things and you want her to get help, but you're yet, you're going to, you, your thought is, why would I remove the alcohol from the house? I, uh, so that was the number. And my aunt, who is a very savvy person started taking notes about everything he would say. Um, when we went a week later to criminal court, which I thought, you know, uh, uh, Oh, I get out of jail. I go to my mother's apartment. Thank God she was still here. And we still had that little apartment for her. We, um, I, I stayed with her. Um, I found out that that evening, uh, you know, my friends couldn't find me. And when I came back, I had all these voicemails and I called one of them back. He went to a party. He went, he went to a party to celebrate and talking about how, how I had a work emergency and could not make it, but how fabulous his wife was. And, um, 
so yeah, I, I, that right there just showed me how sick he really is. Uh, I went to court, um, and he pressed charges. He actually wanted me to go to jail for this petty larceny case. And I didn't realize how, how complex, you know, I really thought that I was just going to go and they were going to drop everything. Oh, what I was going to say when I came out of jail the next day, the police, um, went with me to go get some of my personal items. And I was so in shock that I packed like two leggings, a pair of sneakers, just a few things, nothing. Because I thought I was coming back uh, to my home, never realizing that I would never step foot in that house again. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, then I had to, you know, then I got a letter the day the, the day before I went to criminal court. I got a letter from an attorney, from his attorney, saying that I needed to get a lawyer, uh, a matrimonial attorney within 24 hours. Now, looking back, you know, I have such a fear. I don't know why I didn't push back, but 24 hours, what would happen? Would I implode? <laughs> you know, like, so after we came out of criminal court and found out that he had pressed charges against me, I had to go interview four lawyers and sort of tell my story. And I was so in shock. I didn't even know what to talk about. There's so much, there's so much to talk about, but you know, um, so then the attorney started speaking with each other and they gave me a schedule of what, how I was allowed to see my children and in what hours and in what, you know, in what capacity, um, I was to be put under, I, they immediately had me, and this actually in the long run helped me. They had me get, find a psychiatrist to monitor me and my mental health because, you know, of this borderline personality I was being accused. Mm -hmm. When she diagnosed me as a woman who was perfectly normal, but just was suffering extreme anxiety for, you know, the situational anxiety for what I was going for, he said that I was using my smoke and mirrors, and I manipulated her into believing what I wanted her to believe. He then had, he also had me monitor for alcohol. So I had to carry a device with me and blow into it about three to four times a day to make sure I wasn't drinking. When that didn't prove to be that I was an alcoholic, his excuse was that I had figured out the algorithm of the machine. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, in a comical way, you are now speaking to genius. (laughs) I'm a master uh, when, you know, the psychi- when the psychologist said, um, because I, so the blessing in disguise is I had, I was being seen and taking care of, but you forced a psychologist and a psychiatrist and they helped me out tremendously because they helped me sort of work through the awful experience I was going through. So it took me, you know, and it took me a series of lawyers to kind of understand, setting understand the complexity of this. Um, finally, the therapist was so just so sad about seeing me sort of being whipped with, you know, bleeding alive that she said, you know, my best friend is a retired judge. And I said, can I please speak to her? And this is when, you know, this is when the tide started turning and immediately I went to see this woman. I sent her all my papers and she said, well, you got caught. And the first thing you need to do is get rid of your, that criminal charge because that is what's giving him all the strengths to control you in the divorce court because it gives him all the power. So I hired a super criminal lawyer and within a month they removed, 
you know, all the charges were dropped mm-hmm. because it was proven how aggressive he was. And, you know, luckily I had some, some years before I had broken into one of his accounts and I had seen an outcloud of all, some of the tapings he had of me mm-hmm. and I had sent them to myself. So luckily I had those. And so I was able to prove that I'm not, you know, he was pushing my buttons. So that criminal case was dropped. It only cost me about 40 grand to get rid of it. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And then we went into divorce court. I had, you know, and I had, and that was the most painful part because it was a very slow process. It was, it, it moves like molasses. One weekend to my, you know, and, to my weakness, I went away to about two hours away from where I live with some girlfriends and I had two glasses of wine. The monitor registered it. It was a 0.0008, which is like probably a swig of wine. And I was, I was put in, I was put in such a punishment corner because you see this proves that she's a true alcoholic. And, you know, and I, and and I remember why I had the glasses of wine. It was my anniversary. It was the, the letters that I would get about me were just so awful. I was accused of anything and everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was, yeah, I had never, I never knew someone could say such bad things about me. And, you know, and yeah, I had those two glasses of wine and boy, was it that I had to pay for them. He then tried to really take control of the children at that point. And one thing I didn't realize is that judges don't see this. This is all done behind the scenes. Even though you go to court, this is all done on the sideline with between attorneys. Mm-hmm. So they put me into a stricter sort of alcohol monitoring. And I went to different places to get And everybody would say that I didn't have an alcohol problem. They were actually surprised that, that I hadn't dragged being being that I was under such stress, if I, this would have been the perfect opportunity for me to really lose control if, if I really was. I mean, but how long did you have that monitor and you had one day of drinking and then they were like, you're, it sounds ludicrous to me that they'd be like one, 10 months, 10 months and you had one day. And that, I mean, who is it? Who are the people in charge of this that they were like, oh, I, I drank one day and now all of a sudden I'm getting a penalty. That's, I mean, that's not even close corrupt, to being. It is such a corrupt system. It is done. And the way it was just like, there was zero, zero tolerance. Like I was, it was, so what he did and which was genius, he had me in jail, even though I was able to walk around the city, he had me in jail. He had me in a studio apartment sleeping next to my mother and he had me monitor at, you know, four times a day. Mm -hmm. He completely, I mean, he took my kids, he took everything. Um, So during this time, how often are you able to see your kids? So during that time, I think it's starting to become a little more, but I would see them. Um, I was able to pick them up from school and I would see them until around 545. I had to drop them off. Um, it was terrible for them. There were two that were about to turn three that I didn't understand because all of a sudden I disappeared. Mm-hmm. I... Uh, I, yeah, I, I tried, you know, I was desperate because I, you know, I ran out of excuses of mommy has to go to work or mommy has to go buy milk or mommy has to do this. So I took the kids to see a child therapist to see, to help me cope and 
sort of explain to them or sort of see how this is affecting them. And I was lynched for doing it because I was trying to use uh, a therapist again, you know, to to manipulate it in court to to use it against them. So. I had to cease and desist seeing the therapist and that that was such a manipulative move on my part. And I just didn't know, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. To be honest, it was a very painful <laughs> time of my life. I mean, really, how I held it together, I have no idea. Just, I guess, I needed to get my kids back. So this all happened. We finally, finally saw a judge in September of 2017. Was it? I believe like it had taken a year. So that happened in October. So in September, in October 2016, it happened, and in September 2017, they they took away the monitor. They gave me money to get an apartment, and I got. Oh, we went through forensics as well. We went through a forensic process, and they interviewed everybody. They. Uh, all the specialists that we've ever talked to. So remember how I said to you, we went to marriage counseling as a last attempt. Mm -hmm. He tried to use whatever they said to put against me, but the, none of the doctors cooperated with him. And, um, basically the report came out, you know, what's sad that it, 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 it actually comes down to one person deciding what the rest of your life is going to be. (laughs) And, um, and luckily, the woman who, who did our report was able to see right through him. And he said, you know, basically she said how manipulative he was, how um, he couldn't, uh, how she, she didn't understand if he felt like he was in such danger, why would he stay so long in the marriage to, to document and, and put me in such a weak position? I mean, she saw everything. So um, right after that report came out my life changed everything like all of a sudden the report came out and everything went away. Although I I was given freedom Mm -hmm. and I was given my kids back and I was able to have my kids now, um, on a two, two, three schedule. And I actually got more of the the parenting time because I would have them. I see them every day until six o'clock and they sleep at his house two days, two days at my house and we alternate weekends. Um, and then things from there got better, uh, meaning I, 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 as a person, I felt, uh, you know, I had, it was now time to sort of sweep my, the pieces, my broken pieces and put them back together <laughs> and get my life back in, you know, to a normal state. Um, the divorce continued, um, a lot of allegations against me a lot. He did a lot of things, a lot of awful things, uh, to sort of put me in a bad position. He didn't want to give me support. He, he basically did this so he wouldn't have to pay me. Can you hold one second? Oh yeah. yeah. Hi. Hi, sorry. Where was I? Uh, uh he was withholding support. He was, he did this whole thing in the state that we're in. There's basically four things that keep you from, uh, that, that keep you from having your children get in child support and, and spousal support. One's abuse, domestic violence. Two is, um, substance abuse. Three is mental illness. And four is sexual abuse. 
uh, sexual. This, this, this guy, I mean, this now I, I'm seeing the, he w- really did his homework of like trying to get every single one of these, I guess, except the sexual abuse. The only thing he didn't accuse me of was raping him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was the only thing he, he felt of, uh, short of accusing me. Um, you know, the process, we, we continue, we continue the process until the end. I just wanted to get divorced. And the a funny thing is how life turns around. Now he's not even allowed to come out of his building when I drop off the children, because that's how in danger I am mm-hmm. of him. And the judge ordered him. He has to stay inside while I come in and drop off the kids. Um, he, we finally signed our divorce papers in November last year. Um, and, um, and I would love to say that he's gotten better, but the beast has gotten worse every day. He's scheming, planning, doing things in order to sort of get me to react to him. The only thing is the one thing that this time has taught me is not to react and not to engage and not to be part of what he's trying to get me to do. But it is a very challenging time because now I have the next 18 years to deal with this guy that does nothing but really, like, once a week come up with some sort of scenario to sort of have me, um, to get me in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I know it's been a long troublesome road and now my fear is not no longer what's going to happen to me but the children are getting older and i really doubt that the that the buck stop with me mm-hmm. that the abuse is going to stop here i'm just curious as to what's going to happen with the kids so uh, legally uh now going forward uh with the children uh and uh, do you, you go with them to see a psychologist or a child like a child therapist so it's interesting. <laughs> he doesn't believe the children need therapy. Okay. Parenting trumps over any sort of therapy, according to him. It is in the hands of the parents to do good parenting in order. Um, he didn't, didn't want a therapist. We actually had one. He wanted to change our parenting agreement. So about a year ago, he insisted that we go see a therapist. We hired somebody and she disagreed with him. So basically what it came down to is that I manipulated her and I manufactured stories in order to get the results I wanted. And so she was fired. And about three months ago, one of my boys was telling me, I was babying him and told me how his dad as a punishment put soap in his mouth and made him count to 10 before he could take it out. I, I went... I mean, that broke my heart. So uh, we went to our parenting coordinator. We scheduled, you know, and said how this was not okay. And we, right now we're seeing a child therapist, but he's still insistent that they don't need it. But I need a therapist because I need someone to put boundaries on this man. Mm -hmm. You know, child in a a five-year-old's mouth is not okay. They're so innocent. It wasn't even for a bad words because he wanted a comic book and he was whining. So, yeah, I'm afraid I'm going to have a big challenge ahead of me, but I have to remain strong. You know, if I could get part through part of the first half, 
I can get part, you know, through this part. <laughs> and how are you taking care of yourself unpacking? I mean, how long did it take you to, I don't even know if you've been able to do it yet. Um, unpack, uh, I mean, that the fact that like everything, I guess you right now you're in protective mom mode, really, uh, well, over over yourself. So what happened? One of the things that helped me tremendously. So I had to go on antidepressants, obviously because of the stress I was under. But I discovered Kundalini yoga, which was an amazing thing for me because it helped me meditate and change the way I thought. And it really helped me puzzle myself back together emotionally. It was like a boot camp for my for my mental health and my system, my nervous system. I had an incredible support from my family. I mean, you know, at this time, as my family really showed up, and they were by my side. I and you know what? Out of all our friends, they all stood by me. Mm-hmm. And so I have to say in that case, I was very lucky that I had an amazing support system. Because the people who were fooled by him before then saw the way he divorced me showed the real colors of what he was. And, you know, it just really showed who he was. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, now I'm dealing what am I doing to heal myself you know I'm going to therapy and I just I I, I will tell you I am afraid of trusting men again <laughs> uh, I would say so and <laughs> are, are you um as far you know in in a way you know this is a terrible situation and you're uh I'm not just unlucky I mean but you were lucky in the sense that you were able to afford a lot of, I mean, if you didn't, weren't able to afford some of these lawyers and things like that, uh, I mean, you would be completely screwed. Like you, you would still probably be in that jail, uh, with someone like that. So it, for women out there that uh, don't have resources, is there, uh, have you done any research or like any other way for, uh, people to get help in these situations if someone has gone to the lengths. I mean, your husband had this seems to be set up like it was like a four-year plan of some sort. Well, uh, in discovery, because we had to do financial discovery, um, he started planning this in 2014. <laughs> yeah, this is, I mean, this is like, I mean, we're t- I mean, everyone still has their life, but uh, and I mean that like uh, you, you see some cases like uh, crazier cases and not crazier, but like uh, like the, the Scott Peterson case in the news where he uh, heart like I mean, he he, he uh, murdered his wife and things like that, um, where people of this mentality, it all depends sometimes. Um, I mean, this was the way he was going about it with whatever was going on in his head. Other people might have been raised in a different way and they might have a um, different moral and might go that extra route where they do have to protect uh, their life and and things like that. So have you been involved maybe uh, in the future uh, for to help women in in those uh, situations uh, that might. So not ha- it's interesting that uh, a couple months ago I received. Uh, you know, I told you I, I and I became close. And the, the one thing, and the the one thing, it took me a long time to sort of prove myself because you are you come out from, from under the rubble, 
I am Latina. So all of a sudden I have this petty larceny record and not to stereotype, but it's like it kind of goes hand in hand. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. that, that ha- you know, you have a criminal record. And then all of a sudden these awful things. And, you know, he had, he had so much evidence that he had collected over the years that, it, you know, me screaming and cursing that, yeah, if you heard it, you, I would be like, oh, my God, she's pretty crazy. Um. But, it, you know, after the people got to know me, they they understood where I was coming from. But anyhow, a couple of months ago, um, the judge who had helped me sort of get out of from under the rubble and told me how to go ahead. And, you know, she expressed that I had to to um, to get rid of my criminal case, case first and foremost. She wrote me an email saying she had two friends who are attorneys who were going through a similar situation as my, as mine. And if I, you know, and that I was so inspirational that if I could come and speak to them. So here I'm now with a retired female judge. I am with two very high powered attorneys who this happened to, and they cannot believe how the system is so corrupt, how it's so male, um, it really, the victim, they use the legal system to, as an extension of their abuse. And we are now in the process of getting together and help and creating a group to help women um, to sort of get out of under the rubble. Because one of the most stressful parts throughout this, this divorce was all of a sudden, if you didn't have twenty five or $30,000 to come up with, they would drop your case. What do you do then? Yeah. What do you do? And you're talking, not only that, he was, he had the advantage because he was the wealthy spouse. He has all the money in the world. And with his revenge, he wasn't stopping short. He spent over half a million dollars trying to divorce me and destroy me. Uh, luckily, I had taken two projects right before this happened, and I had some savings that I was able to sort of pay to get out of under the criminal case. And I was able to pay some of my legal fees. And then he was in charge. I, I had a very good lawyer and she made him in charge of all my legal fees, most of my legal fees, mm-hmm. the, the divorce, the matrimonial part. But yeah, if you don't, I, I have no idea what happens to women who don't have this kind of money. They lose, um, they lose everything. They I lose would everything. assume. Yeah. No, no, they do. And, and, you know, uh, it's interesting because when people talk to you, they're like, how did you let this happen to you? And why didn't you see it sooner? Well, guess what? (laughs) It could happen to anyone. And as a matter of fact, when after I had uh, after I had uh, I, I. Oh, one key part. I had discovered that he had been talking to an attorney. Not not after that letter. I found an email and I confronted him. And I, you know, I, at that time I called a girlfriend of mine and I said, you know, you're the only person I know that's gotten divorced. What kind of advice, what kind of lawyer do I look for? What, give me some sort of like, what, what does one do? And she said, do you mind if a friend of mine comes? She's staying with me for a couple of days. And this very elegant French woman shows up. And she had just gotten out of jail because her husband did the same thing to her. Oh, wow. They had been married for 16 years. He all of a sudden said he wanted his freedom um, and started doing a very similar story as to what, you know, my husband did to me. Started videotaping her, started saying he was afraid for his life, wanted her out of the house. And it's, a, it's, it's actually like it's become a very popular formula 
uh, for divorce for wealthy. And um, so, yeah, do you have any more questions for me? I mean, I have so many stories. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I was just wondering that what you're doing with the uh, the, the the lawyers and, and the judge, is that going to be a project or something that's going to be ongoing? Or is that are you going to be... I that kind hope of it? it is ongoing because our next meeting is on the 29th. And now we have a website developer coming to join us. We have people who are very interested that are in government to listen to our stories um, that they cannot believe that the, these things are happening. Um, and we have some we have some women and we're trying to get a group of women together and we really like our ultimate goal is to take it up to legislature and sort of find solutions for and how to help women. It's not just, um, you know, the hardest part is some abused women do get help, but the abuse that I suffered, I rather had gotten a bruise than gotten this emotional beatings that I got throughout the years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I and I truly believe the courts have to be a bit more educated about narcissism and how they manipulate and and and, and the manipulation that goes on. And so, um, this is something that you and I could continue talking about um, as as the time goes because this is very new. But our goal is to find a way to help people out there. Um, who don't have the resources, who don't, you know, one of the things is find a lawyer because it's all, it's all a, a weld oil machine that just keeps making the lawyers richer. Mm-hmm. Everybody, the only ones that win in this whole thing are the lawyers. The ones that lose are the kids. Yeah. And so our goal is to start, sort of find ways to help women sort of to deal and how to, man, uh, you know, how to maneuver through this legal system. Well, if you guys are going to be setting up maybe a nonprofit of sort. Um, I hope so. Like I said, our next yeah. meeting is on the 29th. So uh, maybe in a couple of months from now, we can have another chat and give you a progress report on how this is going. Yeah. And how, and, what yeah. And if you, if you do become like a nonprofit, we'll put the, the, the information up on our website for anyone listening uh, to donate. Because uh, this is, uh, I mean, this is a cause that needs to be donated to if this is how the court system is treating uh, women in these situations, especially ones that, that don't have the the funds uh, to take up their cases and they don't just lose their their uh, their minds, they are going to lose their family and, and everything that they uh, they love. So, I mean... They lose re- everything. Everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, this, has, this, is a, this is something that needs to get out there. And, you know... Uh, no one is in this alone, and like you said, uh, friends and support and everything has to be there, but also the education has to be really given. So I will let you know if this becomes a nonprofit and how this moves along, and also to share with other people who, even if they want to be anonymous, share their stories and how they're being how they're being abused by the legal system or by their spouses uh, through divorce, through trying to take the children away, through any of that. Well, thank you for coming on today and uh, telling us uh, your story. I mean, I can't, I've been, I'm sh- I've been shocked throughout this whole entire thing. Um, and I, I mean, you've gone through a very traumatic experience and I hope that, um, you know, it's early days of, of recovery 
uh, for you, and it's going to probably take a, a long time for um, you to unpack everything that's happened. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I wish nothing but the best for you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And, uh, and yeah, let's, uh, I would love to touch base with you and reconnect in a couple of my, you know, once we start the, the wheels moving with this organization, I would love to continue being in touch so we can help your listeners out there. Oh, perfect. So thank you very okay. much. Yes. Thank you. And for everyone out there, uh, I hope you uh, learned a lot from, uh, this episode and, uh, I hope you have a great day. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was the story of Miriam. It's a crazy story. I mean, I'm still, I'm still blown away by uh, everything I heard because, you know, I've dealt with a, uh, in my life, a sociopathic uh, narcissist, but not to this degree, uh, not to this level. It's very scary. And for everyone out there uh, that is currently in this situation, uh, I beg you to get help uh, immediately. Uh, I know that might not uh, uh, mean anything because you know you might be still stuck in those stages of uh, not denial, but just you're just kind of on that uh, on the strings. And uh, that's I mean that's our episode this week. Uh, Please also, everyone, if you enjoyed this episode in a bittersweet kind of way that it was terrible to listen to, but also, uh, you know, uh, educational, uh, please uh, give us a five-star rating on iTunes or whatever you use, Stitcher, Spotify. Uh, subscribe to our podcast. It helps us out a lot. And I know now in the future uh, for our website, we're going to really... Uh, try and build it out now to at least get uh, resources uh, for everyone uh, in whatever city you're in, or at least start with states and provinces and things like that uh, for support groups for people that have uh, been involved in narcissistic relationships in the the aftermath. Uh, So we're going to try and build that out for everyone. Uh, It takes time to do that and research because, you know, this week I also looked up I was trying to help someone in my city looking up support groups for women in these relationships. And there weren't a, a lot of uh, resources. I was shocked because I'm in the fourth biggest city in uh, North America in Toronto. And I was absolutely shocked at how few uh, little resources there were uh, for these types of situations. So we're going to try and do our best to build that out on our website over time and uh, be as helpful and useful to everyone out there as possible. And then maybe eventually get uh, therapists and things on there, or counselors, uh, anyone that can help, uh, not just regular information, but get you into the right person's uh, hands and people in your city that are in person that can help out. So that's uh, all we have to say this week. I haven't even, uh, I, I haven't even, uh, you know, put a plug in for my book, How to Survive the Narcissist Apocalypse, which will be out eventually soon. You know, taking time. I'm listening to all these stories. This has been interesting, uh, listening to everyone's stories and this being a focus of our podcast. And uh, now I'm just rambling. So I'm just going to stop right now because that's for the the best for everyone. Just everyone can go home and uh, relax. So give us a five-star rating. 
That's my last thing. Give us a review. Subscribe to us. How to Survive the Narcissist Apocalypse podcast. I am Chad the Impaler. Have a great week. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. Please remain calm.